0: here today. I would like to say that it's—I'm really happy to be here, but I'm nervous to talk about myself in front of a hundred people. So I'm going to ask that you give me some good vibes. (laughs) Like this. Reach out. Coming. They say that sharing our vulnerabilities is freeing. And I am reminded that I am among sisters. And we as sisters can share our joys and share our pain, share our victories. And it's freeing because we realize that we've all been there, right? We've all had failures. We've all had victories. So we trust each other with our heartaches. So I'm going to trust you today with some of mine. We know that God is the great comforter, but he gave us each other, right, to comfort each other. So a little more, come on, a little more, (laughs) thank you. All right, so who am I? So I've been married 25 years, and God has entrusted Mike and I with three children, some by birth and some by adoption. Um, By the way, way, adoption is a wonderful thing to do with your life. We've called early to adopt kids from foster care. So these are kids that have had some trauma in their lives. Um, It's not easy. But we felt like it was something God would honor. That, you know, inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it also to me. So God says, however you treat these children, you're treating me. So we decided to raise them, and you know what? If it's in God's will, he'll get us through whatever they bring, right? Let me tell you what adoption means to me. I have a story. Um, Christian is the one on the far left in the white shirt. So when Christian was five years old, he was playing with, he was playing with an exercise bike, and he put his finger in the sprocket and he got what's called a crushing amputation. So his finger was severed. So, um, of course, I throw ice on it. Jackie was upstairs sleeping. Mike was out for a run. It was before school in the morning. I put him in the car, driving down the street. I see Mike <laughs> running. I stop, I say, find the finger, meet us at the hospital. Take off, you. what? So we go to the hospital. So many, many, many people later, we find ourselves in the surgical suite at Boston Children's Hospital, where they have an expert in pediatric crushing amputations. Right? Is it great to live near Boston? Right? Right? So, okay, we're in the surgical suite, and it's a little, is it a little loud, Jackie? It's good. It's good? So we're in the surgical suite, and I'm comforting Christians, it's, it's almost it's going to be over, you're going to be put to sleep, and then it's going to be better, blah, 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 blah. And I hear Mike in the background talking to the anesthesiologist, and he's saying, oh, yes, Cindy has this novocaine allergy. She can take lidocaine, but she can't take novocaine. She gets anaphylaxis, and I'm like, I walk over to the anesthesiologist, and they say, forget everything my husband just told you. Christian's adopted. You see for Mike. Adopting Christian was a moment in time after which he was our child. He was our flesh and blood. There was no difference. That's what adoption means to us. And you may not know this, but I was also adopted. So I was adopted at the age of 19. So you might say, well, what are you talking about? You have to be a child to be adopted. So let me explain. When I was 19, I was in my dorm room at the University of Rochester, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I had to claim a major. I was falling in love with this Jewish guy, real nice guy, and I just didn't know where my future was heading. And I remember my sister saying, God knows everything. And he has a plan for each and every one of us. Is that my sister? He has a plan for each and every one of us. So I said, well, if I could just figure out what God's plan is for me, then I would know what major. Right? And I'd know what to do with this guy that I'm falling in love with. So I laid down my bed. And remember, my sister says, well, what you do is you ask God to live in your heart. So I said, OK. So I took it literally. I'm going to like, all right, there's a spot in my heart right there. Come on in. (laughs) And then she said, and read the book of John. Well, I read the book of John. You see, I was raised in a church, went to church every Sunday. So we knew a lot about God. But we didn't know God. So, read the book. Those words all of a sudden came to life those words all of a sudden meant something. They were familiar words, but they had an impact on me that I'd never felt before. And that was the first time I had experienced God's spirit as interpreter. He interpreted those scriptures for me and they made sense for my life. From that moment on, I was God's daughter forever. So just like Christian was our son in that surgical suite, and my husband's son in every definition of the word, I'm God's son. In fact, he loves me as much as he loves his birth son. That means he loves me as much as he loves Jesus? That is hard to grasp. And God knew it would be hard to grasp. But I am a child of God, and I am loved by God as much as he loves his son. So even now, I find it hard to believe. Would you pray with me? Oh, my God, thank you for, for always being with us. Thank you for adopting us as your own flesh and blood. Thank you for seeing me like you see your son. Help me to understand the enormity of your love. And I ask that in these few moments that I'm sharing, that you would penetrate the hearts of those in this room with your truth, not my truth, but through my words, put your truth out there, that we may all grow to understand your love in a more personal way today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. So today I'm going to share some, what I call, plumb line verses. So this is a plumb line. My son is a carpenter, and this is actually mentioned in the book of Amos, which is an Old Testament book. So the plumb line has been around for thousands and thousands of years, and carpenters still use it today, and they use it to make sure what they're building is straight and true. So it's exactly perpendicular using gravity. So I have a bunch of verses that are right in the back of my Bible, and they're my plumb-line verses, and they keep me on the right path. So I'm going to flash Scripture up on the board here, and they're going to be my plumb-line verses. There we go. They're my favorite. So who am I? I am a wife, I'm a mother, and I am a child of God in whom I trust. Most of the time. <laughs> so back in that dorm room, right? Yeah, I broke up with a Jewish guy. Oh, what a heartbreak. It was like Romeo and Juliet. All He couldn't marry outside of his faith. I really needed a guy that loved Jesus. It was really, we cried and cried and cried. Um, I became a biology major. I studied genetics and I began dating a man who would be my first husband. He was a Christian, he owned a Bible, and he read it, and he knew it. Um, I had pledged to remain pure until marriage. That meant I wanted to wait, and I felt it was God's will that I waited to have like a physical relationship with my boyfriend until after we are married. This is a pledge that my Jewish boyfriend honored, and in fact, he believed it himself. My Christian boyfriend, nah, he didn't like that part of the Bible. Well, I like most of it, but that part, nah, I don't think that's, that's not important. So the obvious happens. So I was very disappointed in myself. I I just, I thought I was stronger than that. I thought I was better than that. And I felt that I let God down. I didn't trust God. I didn't trust God with my, what I saw as my failure. I didn't tell him how I felt. And I decided, I can fix this. I've got an idea. I'll marry him. Right? Then I'll only have been with one man and got married. And that's close. That's close to what God would want. So my first mistake was doing things my boyfriend's way and not God's way. My second mistake was trying to fix it myself. But God never left me even in my disobedience through that disaster of a marriage he never left me so fast forward so it's my 30th birthday I'm newly divorced from a failed marriage I have a roommate to help cover the expenses and I'm a social worker working with foster families recruiting and training and placing children in foster care And that's when the bottom fell out. My roommate was getting married. And I got laid off. So here I am, no husband, no job, no roommate. A lot of Christians like to quote this verse. This is a tough one. But I had to claim it every day. You know, there's actually something wonderful about feeling like you've lost everything. It's kind of freeing. I learned how to be thankful every day. I learned how to be thankful for my health. I learned how to be thankful for my friends, and you know you're real friends, right, when you're having a hard time. And I learned I had a God who is true to his word. He keeps his promises. I learned to claim those promises because Jesus went through hard times too. And he was going to walk with me through this one. Somehow, he would use this time where I felt like I had lost everything, somehow he would use it for good. And as I look back, the lessons I learned through that time continue to bless me today. I learned through that that God is a God of second chances. Amen? Amen. Right? Amen? Right? I learned to trust God. And he did give me a second chance. here, So he brought Mike into my life. So I met Mike when I was 30, and we did it right. And let me tell you, it's worth it you not married, wait till you're married. Is that honeymoon? Ooh la la. <laughs> Look at his face. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. All right, so let's take a quiz. True or false? Things work out better for me? Yeah, when I did it God's way. Things went easier in the end. People respected me. Yeah, I had peace in the long run. All right, do we have time for another story? We have time, All right. So let's fast forward to last fall. So last fall, I was asked to um, take a job in a school system part-time, so I could continue my work at Mass General for Children and work part-time in an elementary school. My mission was to encourage the counselor in that school who was a full-time social worker. She had been in the program for 16 years. She was burnt out. So I had some experience. They said, why don't you go in there? Why don't you be an encourager? Revive her practice. And while, and, and while you're doing that, why don't we just give you the hardest cases, the most complex cases in the building <laughs> to, to sort of ease her burden? I'm like, I'm good. That's good. The pay was awesome. So great pay, hey, I can encourage someone, I can be a light in this place, this is perfect. I'm sure this is God's will. So at first, my colleague was happy to have me there. She was happy for the help, but then, she saw that I had some different ideas from her. But I thought, you know what? Iron sharpens iron, it's okay to disagree. I think it makes us all better clinicians when We can speak into each other's work. So every morning, I'd get there early. I'd pray for opportunities to show respect for my colleague. I'd pray for for us to have things that we agree on, that I can support her in. But things got worse. Things got worse when, in a meeting, my boss, the principal, would call on me and say, well, Cindy, what would you do What's your clinical opinion in this case? And I would honestly give my opinion, and it was different from my colleagues. She didn't like that. And our relationship got worse. I thought, okay, God, all right. Maybe I'm not being humble enough, all right? I need to, in humility, honor her skills, honor her tenure. After all, who am I? Who am I to be critical of her? But I hated going to work. I loved the kids I worked with, and the teachers appreciated my work. And I knew I was there for a reason, so I persevered. Meanwhile, with the extra income, Mike and I decided to look for a new home. So we (laughs) fell in love with Seven Megan's Way. Isn't she beautiful? She's not there. (laughs) Come on. Isn't she beautiful? So we applied for a mortgage, you know, a pre-approved mortgage. But at school, things got worse. My colleague was awful to me. So, James to the rescue, right? Thank God for James. By spring, it became clear that her practices were not only unethical, but they were verging on unsafe. So I felt like I had a choice. I could either um, report my colleagues' behavior, or I could stay silent and continue to try to influence her, myself. My co-workers warned me that people who speak up get fired. And being a new person, I was not tenured. I felt that I had strength to do whatever I felt God was calling me to do, whatever was right. Because I remembered a time way back when I had lost, or felt I had lost, Everything at no that time. No job, no husband, no roommate. At least it was from the world's point of view that I lost everything. So, do I trust God? I said, yes. God saw me through even my disobedience. So, how much more would He see me through my obedience? Did I tell you I have a wonderful husband? He said it was more important to stand up for the kids and risk losing my job than to stay silent. Meanwhile, the mortgage was pre-approved and we made an offer on the house at Megan's Way. All that was left was just a couple weeks before you close bank checks to make sure that you're still employed. That's when I got fired. I had failed. How are we doing? I did not even want to work with that. <laughs> yeah. Not so good. Things went easier? No. no. Peace? Mm. So what's going to happen when the bank finds out The mortgage may not be through. So why does God allow failure? Why didn't he honor me in my faithfulness? I prayed every day. So a wise woman once said that everyone fails sometime. And if you haven't, then you're not really living. That's joy. You know the movie Joy? Let's just come up. And didn't Jesus fail too? After all, he was killed. All his supporters scattered. But our ways are not his ways. Our God is a wise God. I was devastated. I was devastated to be let go. I was fired. What a hit to the self-esteem. Talk about humbling experience, right? I mean, being laid off is bad enough, you know, back at that uh, other term time. But being fired? But to tell you the truth, I was so happy to be done with that job. I was so happy. Uh, I would have stayed. I would have stayed and worked for another year in that setting. In fact, I would have stayed in that marriage. But God saw to it to free me from those situations. He had that first guy leave me and do all the divorce work. I said, I'm not touching it. He did it all. And he had the me. He freed me from that very, very difficult job. And I was free. And I knew I could trust him. So I agreed to have some exit interviews at that job. I I just felt like they needed to know what was going on. In these exit interviews, they said, You have helped us in ways that we can't tell you. You have helped us in ways that are going to help us for a long time. But that's all we can say. They gave me glowing references, like two-page references. And they marked that I had officially resigned, that I had not had, I was fired on my, you know, people called up, it will be like I resigned, not fired. And what about the house? Isn't she beautiful? mortgage was approved without the money from that job. We didn't need that job. We got the house. We moved in on June 15th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay. Okay, now how are we doing? <laughs> Things worked out better for me, yes. Things were easier. Not really, right? Not really. I had more peace, in a way. People respect me, yes. Yes. You see, um, God doesn't promise us health or wealth. He doesn't promise that it'll be easy. What he does promise is that he will love us through whatever this life brings. His promises never leave us. He is there with us through our obedience and through our disobedience. Whether we fail or succeed, he is there teaching us about his love. And we never walk alone. So my charge to you is... Go forth and fail. Fail. Thank you.